Jesus has sent out his disciples to proclaim the kingdom is at hand, to bring healing, to reunite communities previously separated by disease and fear, and to expel the devils. There are a lot of ways people of faith can help to do that with fellow Christians and with others of goodwill who may not share our peculiar. Hi, and welcome to this week's edition of The Redheaded Preacher, the podcast uh, coming to you from St. Peter's United Church of Christ in Skokie, Illinois. I'm Richard Lanford, The Redheaded Preacher. We are an open and affirming congregation in the United Church of Christ. And this Sunday's service for June 14th, 2020, features David Iannotti as our elector, and the scriptures will be coming from the book of Genesis and the gospel according to Matthew. The sermon title is, Would Sarah Be Laughing Now? And without further ado, here is the podcast for June, 20, June 14th. This morning's readings are about God at work on earth. Sometimes our faith needs a boost or new glasses in order to really see what is happening. So in our own way, let's get ready to get better at it by hearing these stories and by getting ready to hear the passages. Please join me in the spirit of prayer. Let us pray. Great God, we are waiting on your spirit. Clear our minds of distractions. Open our minds to not only listen to these passages, but to wisely entertain how they may speak to us. Help us apply them to our lives and to our church's life. In your name, O Christ, we pray. Amen. Our first reading is in two parts. Genesis chapter 18, verses 1 through 15, and then over to chapter 21, verses 1 through 7. It begins with the story about Abraham and Sarah having unexpected visitors. The Lord appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre, as he sat at the entrance of his tent in the heat of the day. He looked up and saw three men standing near him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent entrance to meet them and bowed down to the ground. He said, My Lord, if I find favor with you, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought, and wash your feet, and rest yourselves under the tree. Let me bring a little bread, that you may refresh yourselves, and after that you may pass on, since you have come to your servant. So they said, Do as you have said. And Abram hastened into the tent to Sarah and said, Make ready quickly three measures of choice flour, knead it, and make cakes. Abram ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to the servant who hastened to prepare it. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, Where is your wife, Sarah? And he said, There, in the tent. Then one said, I will surely return to you in due season, and your wife, Sarah, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent entrance behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age, and had ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. 
So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, I have grown old, and my husband is old. Shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? At the set time I will return to you in due season, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, Oh yes, you did laugh. The Lord dealt with Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had promised. Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to his son, whom Sarah bore him. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God has, had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Now Sarah said, God has brought laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh with me. And she said, Who would ever have said to Abram that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. This ends our two readings from Genesis. Our scriptures continue with our final reading. It is from the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 9, verse 35, through chapter 10, verse 8. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and curing every disease and every sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Then Jesus summoned his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits, to cast them out, and to cure every disease and every sickness. These are the names of the twelve apostles. First, Simon also known as Peter, and his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon, the Canaanian, and Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Go nowhere among the Gentiles, and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. As you go, proclaim the good news. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Cure the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You received without payment, give without payment. Here ends the reading of the Gospel of our scriptures for today's service. Thanks be to God for this, the word of the God of life, for the life of the people of God. Abraham and Sarah may be coming along at the right time. Years before our story, when Abram was 75 and Sarah was somewhere in her mid-60s,
The Lord came to Abram and made a covenant with him. Part of the covenant from God was that the two of them would have a son. And from this son, and further generations from him, there would be a people that would own the land and bless the world. Things were going to go the right way. They just had to believe. Go forth from this land to a land that I will show you. Well, that ended up being the tough part. Three chapters later, Abram is asking God, what's going on? Where was this son? Years had passed. Two more chapters later, 75 had become 99 years old. And God reaffirmed before Abraham that the son was coming. Meanwhile, Abraham had Ishmael by way of Hagar, as if to hedge his bets with God. 25 years of trouble and struggle. Faith came and maybe didn't go, but struggled. No son for years and years. Then we heard David tell today's story. The mystery travelers include one who said, I will surely return in due season, and your wife Sarah shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent entrance behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age. It had ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. So Sarah laughed to herself. And when called on that, she denied having laughed, but he said, oh yes, you did laugh. Well, why the heck not? A quarter of a century ago, when she was probably already well past the childbearing age, she was told she'd bear a son and nothing. Traveling, troubles, Abraham eventually visiting Hagar and having a son by her, years and years and years of... What are you believing in? Who are you believing in? Twice since the original promise, God repeated that a son would come and zilch. Pardon her skepticism. The old does not give birth to the new. Some miracles do not happen. Certain realities are too entrenched, right? Keeping faith was hard. The great and grizzled United Church of Christ veteran Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann wrote of Genesis chapters 16, 17, and 18, all three distinct pieces considered revolve around the issue of faith in a God whose promise tarries too long. The story of their lives is the story of hopeful but impatient groaning as they wait for the redemption of their bodies and of their history. He goes on. Once again, this story shows what a scandal and difficulty faith is. Faith is not a reasonable act which fits into the normal scheme of life and perception. They are resigned to their closed future. They have accepted 
that hopelessness is normal. Can you see why this couple may have come at the right time for us? In the United States, the looting and rioting seem to have ended, if not greatly declined. Protests, marches, and a pressure upon persons, politicians, and agencies continue daily. We know that the outbursts of which the murder of George Floyd was the touchstone reflected a fraction of the centuries of Anglo oppression of people of color, from slavery to Jim Crow, the Klan, lynching and massacres, and inability to go to equal schools or register to vote, from mortgage redlining and its generational effects, as well as enduring police arrests and brutality overwhelmingly focused on them. Those who never learned or had to relearn some of the history of African Americans in this country got taken and are still being taken to school. That's an awful lot to learn. The anger and pressures brought to bear are also aimed at this, broken promises. Remember, schools were going to become better and more equal for African-American kids after Brown v. Board of Education, 1954. That was well over 60 years ago. Have you been to Austin lately? There was going to be a more level economic playing field following LBJ's war on poverty and equal voting and other kinds of access after the Civil Rights Acts of 1964 and 65. Promises were made after the Rodney King riots. All the time, though, waiting and disappointment for far more than Abraham and Sarah's mere 75 years. Some of you know that I majored in political science. I am cynical about idealism within the political process. I understand why Sarah laughed. I understand why words, diversity training, being taught black history, and now changing a couple of policies here and there are seen as good but insufficient for the time at hand. I get why. Promises of progress are met with yawns, if not profanity. I understand why preaching faith and keeping it does indeed, as Brueggemann said, border on scandalous. When I was the young pastor of St. Nikolai United Church of Christ in Chicago, I was in a small group led by the Reverend Benny Whiten, a black pastor, when he said, politely but firmly, history has taught me I cannot trust white people. He had faith in God, has faith in God. He also said to us, when asked about racism, he said, are you talking about racist attitudes or about racist systems? Oh, I learned. Perhaps some promises are starting the long work of fulfillment. As Jim Wallace and Adam Taylor of the Christian magazine Sojourners observed just the other day, quote, the Black Lives Matter movement has gone mainstream. 
with corporations like Amazon, civic leaders and police chiefs, and even NFL commissioner Roger Goodell now emblazoning these words they once considered controversial on their websites and emails. But these words represent far more than a trendy slogan or a hashtag. They are a resounding call for a deeper paradigm shift and transformation in American society to fully affirm the humanity and dignity of black people and ensure equal protection under the law for all. They continue, saying black lives matter requires changing the culture of policing and transforming a whole system of racial injustice. For many, at its core, is a call to radically rethink and recreate policies, systems, and practices that will lead to public safety for all Americans and ensure that equal justice under the law is inclusive of black people. Now is a time to examine ways to redirect funding to the kinds of community services and evidence-based approaches that will more effectively reduce violence and crime, as well as improve community well-being." End quote. As Martin Luther King Jr. said, all these protests, this is not folks blown off steam. Reverend William Barber II's Poor People's Campaign, about which you may have heard as they were going to march on Washington, as MLK's plan was, in the summer of 68, they're planning on doing a digital, now because of the virus, to Poor People's Campaign, June 20th of this year, this coming Saturday. And the Poor People's Campaign has been long in the nurturing and planning process for years. It is a multiracial, multicultural, multigenerational gathering that's more than a gathering, uh, but it, would, it will be on the 20th that it's coming together to speak to DC about transformational change at, he lists, five interconnected levels. So we gotta have faith again. Faith with feet. Faith that does not fade away when the camera light goes off, when organizers' phone calls get hung up on, and when our prayers for thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven seem naive. Faith that, like Sarah, might laugh at the idea that something new can be born from something very old and entrenched, but which still cooperates with God in that journey. For a traveler in the story did ask, as we should even still, is anything impossible for the Lord? The journey for the church is set out for us in our gospel reading today. Jesus, at the end of chapter 9, sees the crowds. Quote, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless. Bruner describes them in his own translation as limping, matted up, and beat up from one desperation to another. Moved by compassion, as proclaimers of the kingdom should be, Jesus sends the twelve on a mission. He told them, proclaim the good news. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Cure the sick, raise the dead, 
cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. I looked at that, looked at those directives, those, and I, I thought, I replaced it with a touch more colloquial, proclaim the gospel that the kingdom of God is at hand, bring healing of disease, bring new life out of death, heal and reintegrate communities, get rid of evil influences, and powers. Clarence Jordan, in his Cotton Patch Gospel of Matthew, paraphrased Jesus, heal the sick, arouse the insensitive, make the outcasts acceptable, expel devils. A mission for followers of Jesus. That journey calls for faith too, faith and compassion in action. Our mission of compassion and fairness, of expelling devils and reintegrating communities instead of making leper colonies, is changing, it seems to me. And for the church, we need to embrace it from the church first, as people of faith. Dante Stewart wrote in a different sojourner's column about Michelle Alexander, who wrote the book, uh, The New Jim Crow, but now he's, he's referring to her when she, he said, in issuing a, she issued a call to love, and he says, in issuing a clarion call to love, Alexander calls us to move out of cheap calls for progress to finally actualize racial and economic justice. There is a need to learn about racial past and its present reality, problems caused by white supremacy, must be dismantled through, through policies and practices that upend this experience of racial difference. Black lives can't just matter in May and June. They must matter in November and beyond. I believe, he says, this is the moment for us to fight to realize the demands of love. He goes on to list some of what he believes in, including the power of prayer, of policy, and protest. He finishes, I believe in the power of Jesus, the liberating Messiah, who transforms life so that the kingdom of God becomes a living reality, even if it is but a seed of a blossom that is yet to come. Resurrection power gives new life, new energy, new hope to face the darkness of the day. End quote. Jesus has sent out his disciples to proclaim the kingdom is at hand, to bring healing, to reunite communities previously separated by disease and fear, and to expel the devils. There are a lot of ways People of faith can help to do that with fellow Christians and with others of goodwill who may not share our peculiar, particular faith. I'm almost done, but I feel a need to take a moment to remind us in Chicago and its environs of the disparity in health and access to health care we discovered, or some of us discovered, when COVID hit. African-American neighborhoods were underserved from Jump Street. That did not just happen. 
It was a result of decades of intentional neglect, and that neglect had starting points and architects, most likely well beyond their control. We heard about food and medicine deserts in the same affected areas. These have been underserved areas for a very long time. This is not the kind of world we want to present to Jesus when he comes back. This is not how we let people know we are Christians by our love, by our love. Persons died because of racist decisions setting those communities up and adrift like so. There must be more that you and I can learn and alliances we can hope to be part of to end such mortal malice. There must be ways we who serve the compassionate, crucified, and risen Lord can do as he told us, bring healing and expel the evil. Will it happen? Alliances have formed and continue to be formed and expand. I mentioned Reverend Barber and what's going on with his huge alliance for the Poor People's Campaign. Centuries have passed. Faith has been tested and tested and tried, and hope has seemingly been on a respirator as soon as one became available. Faith communities, though, are getting energized. The United Church of Christ has long had its justice and witness ministries, and it is set up for the long haul of this. Jim Wallace refers to a Kairos moment. That is a point of time that's not chronological. It's not about what time it is or what your calendar says. It's about the quality the power, the dynamic of a point in time which changes everything. When you come to faith, that's a Kairos moment. Let me share one last thing from Jim Wallace and end with a question. In religious terms, we hope and pray that this moment could even be a Kairos moment, one in which the sheer brokenness and depravity of the status quo generates an awakening and a reckoning that makes radical transformation possible. Our beloved friend Vincent Harding often reminded us that you can't start a, mo a, mo a moment. You can't start a moment. You can only prepare for one. In a similar way, you can't fully predict a Kairos moment, but you can be ready when it arrives, and you can help accelerate it with courageous action. We can't allow this, he says, to be simply a moment. By using our voices, our votes, and our resources to advance bold reforms and a reimagining of public safety, we can help strengthen and sustain a movement that has the power and potential to transform our nation. Now, after all this time and all this faith wrestling, with all that's now peacefully developing and has been developing, would Sarah be laughing now? Amen. 
Thank you once again for listening to the Redheaded Preacher podcast. This does it for Sunday, June 14th. I hope once again you found the sermon uh, thought-provoking and uh, uplifting at the end. And uh, I'm grateful for, for those who've tuned in for the first time, for those who continue to tune in. And we give God all the praise and all the honor. And with God's grace, we will be bringing you another sermon next Sunday, which will be June 21st. God bless your week. Bye.